it on the mountain. You know, the history of that song goes back to 1865. Did you know that? It used to be an African-American slave song that they would sing, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Over the years, uh, That has uh, this song has been replayed over and over again by different musical groups. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to respond via clapping if you like any of these uh, bands who have redid the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. How about Simon and Garfunkel? Oh, seriously? Okay, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. All right, the great James Taylor. I like James. I'll give it up. Dolly Parton. Come on. Garth Brooks. David Crowder. All right, we like David Crowder. And the New Hope Orchestra with Encore Winds and Kalkaska alumni. How about that? Good. Very good. That yeah, was a blessing to be here this morning. Uh, listen, we know that many of you are, are guests with us and, uh, of course, a lot of New Hope faithful. Uh, we don't want you to leave today without the most important gift uh, that uh, we could give you as a church. Pastor Bruce, why don't you come on up here, man? Uh, Bruce is one of our pastors on staff, and, uh, and I've asked him uh, to take a couple minutes here and tell you exactly what Christmas all is, is all about, why we're here, why we exist as a church, without which we would not exist. And uh, so, Bruce, uh, go ahead, man, and uh, tell, tell us what this Christmas season is all about. I'm on. All right. Jesus Christ was born so that we could be born again. That's what the scripture says. Jesus Christ was born so that we could be born again. It was a, a teacher of the law in the New Testament came to Jesus Christ and he says, how can one be saved? How can one be saved? Jesus said, you must be born again. This was absurd to Nicodemus. This was crazy. He says, can an old man go back into his mother's womb? Jesus says, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about physically being reborn. He said, I'm talking about being reborn spiritually, spiritually, because all of us are dead in our trespasses. We're all dead in our sins, and our sins separate us from a relationship with our God, our creator, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He says, you must be reborn spiritually. Jesus Christ was born so that we could be born again. You see, someday we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ. We're all going to stand before God, the judge, and he's going to judge us according to our, our, our deeds, our words, our, our things that come out of our mouth, every good and bad deed we've ever done. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ Jesus is the gift that came to earth, that was born, so we could be born again, so that we could have uh, eternity in paradise. And that's good news. You see, we've, we've all sinned. We've all broken the law. We've, we've, we've all broken God's commandments, which we are to be judged by. We've all lied. We've all stolen. We've all cheated. We've all lusted. We've all taken the Lord's name in vain, used it as a curse word. That's blasphemy to God. So by our own omission, we're lying, thieving, adulterers, blasphemers at heart, and we've got to stand before a holy God someday. And we will be guilty. And we would be condemned to death and hell if it were not for one thing. Jesus Christ was born so that we could be born again. 
and have eternal life in paradise. And I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not the smartest man in the world. But I know that that's a good deal. Because it's a free gift. But it did not come cheap, as we know. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross for everybody in here. And many of you have heard this message uh, all life. Many of you have been looking at Jesus Christ for a long time. You see him in the manger. You see him on television. You see the sign of the cross. You, you see Christians going to church. Every, and you've been on, kind of at the side. You've been looking at Jesus from a distance for a long time. Here's the thing. If an airplane was going down, I use this illustration all the time, and there was a parachute sitting in the corner, what would you do? Oh, there's a parachute. Listen, you would put it on, right? You would put it on. And you wouldn't just look at it for your whole time or you're going to die. And that's what you got to do with Jesus Christ. Some of you have been looking at Jesus at a distance for a long time. But you must come to a point in your life where you say, I am putting Jesus into my life, and, and not just temporary, but he is going everywhere that I go. I'm taking him with me. He must not become a part of your life. He must become your life. Like, you put all your faith and trust in him for salvation in him alone. Just like you would do if an airplane was going down. You would trust in that parachute to save your life. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. He was born so that we could be born again and spend eternity in heaven. And we have this sin, we have this debt that cannot be paid if it were not for Jesus Christ dying on the cross. So he comes into the courtroom, he pays our fine, he takes what we deserve, the punishment. And he says, judge, father, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm going to take their sin. And just like the thief of the cross, many of you saw it illustrated this weekend, just like the thief on the cross, he didn't say, ah, I'm going to invite Christ into my heart. But he said, Christ, God, he said, I believe you are who you say you are. W would you remember me in your parents? Please remember even me. And Jesus said, today, right now, you will be with me in paradise. Didn't have to get baptized, didn't have to join a church, didn't have to do anything. But he put his faith in Christ and he said, remember me. And some of you need to do that today. Since from your whole life, you need to say, God, remember me in your paradise. Remember me. Who am I that you are mindful of me, God? Remember me and just please forgive me of my sin. I know that you were born so that I could be born again, created new, put on new clothes, and my name could be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and every time someone gets saved, they throw a party in heaven. Jesus Christ is the gift of everlasting life. Again, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a brain surgeon, but I know that's a good deal. There's not a whole lot of things that are free in this world. But a relationship with Christ, he welcomes it. He is ready to run to you. He is ready to embrace you. But listen, I say it all the time. You don't just say a prayer and go on with your life. Jesus said, you, you worship me with your lips, but you denounce me with your lifestyle. Okay, this, this is a life change. This is a life change. You must make him Lord of your life. And so sometimes you guys have been looking at Jesus at a distance. Sometimes it's just having an opportunity. And that's what Pastor Craig wanted to do today is present you with an opportunity. If you miss everything, don't miss this. So I'm going to give you that opportunity right now to start a relationship with Christ. And again, a prayer doesn't save you, but it starts that relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what some of you need to do. And we want to give you that opportunity. It's the best gift we could give you this Christmas season. So if you would, just a moment, would you bow your heads and pray with me? And if you say, Pastor Bruce, that's me. I need Jesus Christ in my life. 
I've been looking at him from a distance for a long time, but I want to make him Lord of my life. I want to put my faith and trust in him to save me of my sins, just like I would a parachute. So if that's you today, just say this prayer to yourself. Say, dear Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Today, I am surrendering my life to you. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. Jesus, I need you. Give me the strength to live for you the very best that I can. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with heads up, eyes wide open, everybody looking around. And I'm going to do it this way because I don't want it to be fake or false or coerced. I want this to be real. And I believe in the supernatural power of the gospel to do this. So if you said that prayer for the first time, you said, man, I need that gift of eternal life. I need Jesus Christ. And I prayed that prayer for the first time. I'm going to ask you to do maybe the hardest thing you've ever done. Right here with everybody looking around, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up if you said that prayer for the first time. Anybody in here? There, hands there, hands there, hand over there. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. If it was one, it was all worth it. Thank you. Amen. Merry Christmas. That's a good gift. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Seventh book of the Old Testament, right after the book of Judges. If you're new with us, we as a church have been in the book of Judges. We are now done with that uh, in the month of November. We are uh, doing a series, a shorter series in the book of Ruth through the December season. Two Sundays ago, people had the opportunity to receive prayer at the end of the service. We're asking God to do a new thing in our hearts, a new thing, new work of transformation, a new work of healing hurts and, and uh, consoling Wounds and freedom from depression and cutting loose emotional bondages and healing marriages. And here was one couple's testimony. He writes this. When you concluded your message with the altar call to pray for something new. In the last couple months, my relationship with my wife had seemed to plateau. Because of my tendency towards passivity was taking root again. Well, I asked Pastor Tim and Kim that morning to pray for God taking my marriage to level two. Since that day, it seems that my wife and I have grown significantly closer. I have found myself wanting to please her again and looking forward to it. And in response, she has done her part to build her end of the bridge. It really is amazing. For some reason, I always felt self-conscious about praying in front of her, even though I could easily pray in front of my men's group. Now that is not the case anymore. God has certainly stepped in. It seems that he was just waiting for us to ask him. Isn't that good? God is doing a new work. And uh, through this series of December of Ruth, you know, we are asking him to do a new work. What is it? Maybe you've walked with Christ for a lot of years, decades in fact, but there's always something else the Lord wants to do. There's always another step of transformation. And so here we come to the book of Ruth, and uh, you know, chapter 1, if we could just paraphrase it, it's an emotional graveyard. I mean, this is a tough chapter. Uh, we have Naomi, as we covered in the first week, two weeks ago. In the first five verses, we find out that she not only has 
moved from her hometown, Bethlehem, because of hard times and famine. Uh, so she's left home, but then she also has lost her husband. And then over the course of 10 years, her two boys, who had just recently married, are also dead. And here Naomi is, a widow. She is standing on top of three graves, and she is looking at the husband, the man of her dreams, dead. And she's looking at her two boys, dead, and she feels alone. We told you two weeks ago about New Hope Naomi's. I talked to several of them. And these New Hope Naomi's had the same feelings that Naomi does in chapter 1 of overwhelmed, abandoned, broken, exhausted, anxious, widows feeling the weight of grief and depression. And this is a place that we've all been. Even if you're not a widow today, maybe it's a loss of a marriage through divorce. Maybe it's a loss of children because they're prodigals. Maybe it's a loss of business or financial endeavor. Whatever the grief is that has hit your heart, we've all been there in the stark reality of chapter 1. An emotional graveyard. This is reality. Well, the rest of Ruth chapter 1, because last Time together, we took a look at five verses, one through five, and that summarized it for you. It's a loss of marriage through death. It's a loss of children through death. It's a loss of her home because she's moved. She feels alone, and she feels hopeless. And that was the theme last uh, time. I need the Redeemer when life feels hopeless. Have you felt hopeless? This is a time of year we're supposed to feel what? Joy, happiness, parties, presents, gifts, uh, but, you know, what is it? December what? What is it? Yeah. This is about the time that, you know, emotions get frazzled, and the dude co-worker at the Christmas party at work gets drunk, and the family get-togethers, there's conflict, and all of a sudden everything like, hey, wait a minute, I thought this was supposed to be fun. But all of a sudden, Christmas becomes tough. The emotional darkness of chapter 1, what we're going to see today is that Naomi, now in the midst of hopelessness, lays the blame of her condition squarely at the feet of Almighty God. And it's so emotionally dark, but I'm praying that God does a new thing because some of you have come in today feeling the weight of emotional darkness and you're thinking God is to blame and and you feel like Naomi, and this is why it's written, to bring us back to Bethlehem, where the story finds itself in chapter 1. I need the Redeemer when life feels hopeless. That was last time. Here we go, number two. I need the Redeemer when it feels like God is against me. Have you ever felt that God was against you? Look at verse 13. We're going to come to some of the other things next time together next week. We're going to get into Ruth, and so far we haven't really even touched on Ruth. Chapter 1, and frankly the whole book, is read through Naomi's eyes. This widow, this, this woman who's lost her husband and her sons. And, and verse 13 captures a snapshot. It feels like God is against her. Verse 13 says this. She's talking to her two daughter-in-laws who have also lost their husband. She says, no, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out, what? 
against me. This is the first time she's saying it. You're going to see it again as we go through this. But she's feeling the weight of Almighty God pressing his hand against her as if he is opposed to her and has taken away, snatched away a dream, and she feels hopeless. Have you ever felt like that? Seriously. Have you? Have you? Have you? I'm going to keep asking. Have you? Okay. One of my daughters this week uh, came to me, and she said, Dad, Mom told me that boys have feelings. Is that true? (laughs) It's true. This is not some crazy emotional woman here who's feeling like God is against her and she's feeling the weight, oh, it's just another emotional. No, this is a place we've all been. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, a man. It doesn't matter if you're young, you're old. There is emotional hardship that is pressed on us during the course of life when circumstances are against us in such a way that we're thinking, God, if you are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, why in the world is this happening? And here's Naomi's dilemma, and I'm talking to you especially if you grew up in the church. Her dilemma is, on the one side, she knows the Bible. And her Bible, of course, would be the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. She knows the Bible. She knows what God said. She knows that the Lord says, here's my name, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in what? Help me. Steadfast love and faithfulness to a thousand generations. She knows that. But then circumstances dictate widowhood, grief of losing children, loss of your hometown, famine, darkness, no future. And here she is, right here, square in the middle, with the tension. And the tension is this. Here it is. You ready? Is God reliable? Okay, that's free advice right there. The theme working itself through all of the book of Ruth is that question. Is God reliable? Can you trust him? The Lord, the Lord, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, bind steadfast love. Yeah, but my life doesn't feel like that. It feels like he's against me. The tension, it's in the middle. This is where Naomi is. She's in the middle. Is he reliable? In the book of Job, he vacillates back and forth. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. The other side. No, he's not. What does she say? Curse God and die. She's convinced God is not reliable. And here Naomi is entertaining the option. Maybe maybe God's not reliable. That tension is what New Hope Naomi's felt. In their dialogue with me via email and then in conversations, here's what two of them said. New Hope Naomi's who lost their husbands far earlier in life than they wanted to. One of them said this, God, why didn't you heal my husband the way I expected? Some of you have been there. Another New Hope Naomi said this, I told God I was mad and I asked God why. Why didn't he intervene? Have you done that before? Because that's what Naomi's doing here. Then some pastor will come and will say, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? But but in those moments when you're in the tension, you're like, well, yeah, but the, the verse of the Bible says, if God is for us. Because I'm not feeling he's for me. 
But what if God is against me? What? You know, that's the tension. Well, how do we answer this question? Because sometimes we get exhilarating news like Clary Walker Jr. I got a call this week. He's cancer free. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, that's awesome. Man, when he called me this week, late Wednesday night, told me, I'm cancer-free, Pastor Greg. I was like, woo! Man, that's awesome. Well, that's, all, that's good news. But what happens in Ruth 1 when you don't get that? How do we reconcile the, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God who controls all things, and yet these things happen? And here's what one author says. Naomi surely felt God must have some private vendetta against her. Ruth 1 will remind most hearers of what may be the primal question about God. If there is a loving God, then why do all these bad things happen? The church rushes in to give simplistic, even sadistic answers. It was God's will. God needed her in heaven. He's in a better place. Uh, add that to the top five things not to say to somebody in grief. The man goes on, uh, the book of Ruth wisely avoids such judgment. Suffering happens. There is no underlying reason given. The deaths are reported, not explained. New Hope, listen, I mean, here we are. We live in the tension, don't we, of everyday life. Everyday pain, life throws curveballs. There's days, there's weeks, there's even years that bad news comes incessantly and we begin to think, man, is God for me? Is he against me? What's, what's going on? And, and how do we explain that? Well, Ruth doesn't tie a nice Christmas bow. This is not a nice, neat package to say, well, this is why it happens. But what Ruth does show by the end of the book is that God is at work to redeem our pain and transform it into a platform of praise. That's what it shows. And he does it through the work of a baby boy redeemer in Bethlehem. That's why we do this book at Christmas time. So, I need the Redeemer when it feels like God is against me. Number three, I need the Redeemer when life tastes bitter. Uh, look at verse 19 and 20. Again, I know we're skipping some things. We'll come back to it next week. But I want to get you, I want you to capture the snapshots of, of Naomi's emotional state. Uh, it says this, And when they came to Bethlehem, she's with Ruth at this point in time, when they came to Bethlehem, remember, she lived here 10 years before. She hasn't set foot in Bethlehem since. She comes to Bethlehem. The whole town is stirred because of them. And the women said, is that, is that Naomi? Have you ever not seen somebody for like 10 or 12 or 15 years, and then you see them and you're like, whoa, what happened to you? That's what, is that Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty, here it is, number two, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She wants a name change. Don't call me that. Call me 
this. Well, I have a middle name. I've never liked it. My middle name is Kyle, but it's spelt with a C. It's C-Y-L-E. So throughout my life, uh, I've had people say Sile, Lyle. I've had people say Cycle. And so when I had our boy, when we had our boy, we named him Kyle, and we redeemed it. We spelt it correctly. (laughs) Well, Naomi, here she is, Uh, She has anxiety written all over her face. The wear and tear of 10 years of grief are on her heart. She doesn't look up much. I mean, I just imagine she's moping. Her face is down. She can't even see the brightness of the sun, let alone uh, the faces of other people. She just, her, her, her whole countenance is in a shroud of darkness. She cannot see the hidden hand of the providence of God. She can't see it. And you've been there where you can't see God at work, and you're like, what is there to live for? And the women are going around, is is that Naomi? What happened to her? Her name, Naomi, means here's why she wants a name change. Her name, Naomi, means sweet, pleasant. It would be the equivalent, husbands, of you saying, hey, honey, Hey, sugar. And when Naomi hears the name sweet, pleasant, sugar, when she hears her name rolling off the lips of people, it feels like alcohol being poured into an open wound. She can't stand it. And so she said, don't call me that. Call me Mara. means bitter, sour. She knows the story of Exodus chapter 15, which you could look at later today, when the Israelites come on a, a pool of water, and finally they have water to taste, but they, they drink it, they lap it, and blah, it's, it's bitter. It's Mara. Well, when I read this passage about four weeks ago, I thought of Jennifer. Jennifer, why don't you come up here? Uh, Jennifer it was so gracious to come and, and share just a bit of her journey, but 12 years ago, uh, Jennifer, you were facing one of those moments, one of those Mara moments. And uh, so why don't you just tell our congregation how it intertwines here with Ruth chapter 1. Welcome, Jennifer, would you? Welcome. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. It is always fun stepping back through the doors of New Hope. I remember coming through these doors in 2005 with my one and three-year-old at the time. And I would try to slide in and really hope that no one asked me how I was doing. (laughs) Um, I was hiding. I felt really scared when I started um, coming into this church. And a lot of it had to do with my life before coming to northern Michigan. I had a life before all of this in Indiana. In 2000, I married a man that I had met in the church He was carefree, in my opinion. He had said that he shared the same vision in life with me, that um, his love for the Lord was the same, and I was swept up and enamored and completely in love with this man that I married in 2000. We got married, and on my wedding night, it was like the light got switched. And I realized that I had stepped into something that was horribly um, dark, very, very dark. And as it progressed, the darkness got worse over the weeks, the months that I was married in the beginning. I felt so ashamed 
Um, I felt ashamed for the pieces that I enabled to happen, and um, I, I just felt great shame. A year later, I was seven months pregnant with my daughter, and I found out why our home was so dark. He suffered from a sex addiction that affected our family in great ways. Um, I was living with an angry and an unstable um, man who on the outside appeared charming and very, very kind, and I honestly thought I was going crazy. <laughs> um, I withdrew from my friends, my family. I hid the truth. I isolated. Um, I lost perspective. I felt like it was all my fa fault. And in my heart and in my head the whole time, I was screaming at God, why would you let this happen to me? And then I would sit and touch my stomach and try to reconcile how I had this beautiful life growing inside of me. And yet I had all this darkness swirling around me. And at seven months, it's really important you start deciding on the name of your child. And at night, I would sneak out of bed and I would go into this corner of the room and I would read God's word and I would ask him if he was ever going to come back to me. And I read the book of Ruth, and in Ruth, I read Mara, and I thought, that is exactly how I feel. And then I wrestled, you can't name your child Mara. I'm not going to put that on my unborn daughter. And it was later on that I was alone one night when he was out, and uh, I came to the book of Exodus, and I read Mara again, but it was Mara with an H, and it was the Mara that Naomi knew. And in that, God took that bitter water and he made that water sweet. And I couldn't imagine how any of my life was going to be sweet. But I had this hope that this baby inside me was going to be redeemed. And it was going to be so sweet. So I would like to show you my Mara. This is my little baby, <laughs> not so little anymore. She turned 12 this last week, and, um, you know, I had ideas and designs when I thought of redemption. I thought redemption would someday be me, my daughter, and my husband at the time on stage somewhere, and him telling his story of how he was walking in freedom. And that's not how it was redeemed. And it took years, and there was so much suffering through it all. Um, but in those dark times, I knew that there was a hope, and that hope was in Christ, and that somehow, some way, whether on earth, maybe in heaven, I was going to see redemption in this. Amen. 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 All right, one other question. Jennifer and Mara. One other question, 12 years later, yes. uh, you have a community ministry called Single Mom Ministry, which was birthed out of pain, out of bitterness. And that wouldn't exist today, would it, if it had not been for this? It wouldn't. Mm. Um, I think God's always funny how he puts things together, but I do. We minister to lots of single moms, and it wouldn't have been possible if we hadn't walked the journey ourselves this week and walked through the door my story mm. and she's at the beginning yeah. and we were able to say that there's 
there's lots of hope and he has he's redeemed that he's redeemed me with an amazing husband Amen. and Amen. it's amazing Amen. thank you guys thank you Mara well Jennifer and Mara you are a blessing to us and uh you see congregation how the stories of today intersect with the stories of biblical times this is not some crazy book. This is God's word played out now in the lives of our people. Even as intimate as naming a daughter Mara because life tastes so bitter. It's not just about Jennifer and Mara. I know that Jennifer and Mara would love nothing more than to touch the lives of other ladies, other single moms, other dads who are tasting bitterness, like, man, life is just so bitter. And I know that their prayer, my prayer, our prayer coming into today is that God would do a new work, redeem the bitterness, and make it sweet again. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, but what if some of you are in the Mara place and you could say, no, don't call me that anymore, call me sweet because that's the business that God is in. And he can do that. This is a message to Miracle Church. We believe that God can take any mess and transform it to a miracle. I need the Redeemer when life feels hopeless, when it feels like God is against me, when life tastes bitter. Number four, when my soul feels empty. When my soul feels empty. Look at verse 20. 21. I went away full. She says, when I look back 10 years ago, I had a husband, I had two boys. I was happy back then. I wish I could just rewind the clock and go back to the golden years. I was full when I left Bethlehem, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Notice again where she places the blame and the bitterness of the grief. It's like, God's brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now for the third time, Naomi places the blame at the feet of the Lord. Notice a couple things, however. First of all, she still believes in Yahweh. She still believes in the Lord her soul has not rejected the existence of God. She has not become an atheist which says, oh, the God just doesn't exist. She believes in God, but that's the tension. I believe God exists, but where, where is he? For the third time, she says, God's against me. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Some would rush in here to call Naomi a whiner. Others would think that she's sacrilegious for questioning God. Do you know what I call her? I call her normal. This is normal. She feels God has abandoned her. And this is why I was talking earlier with a man. Uh, this is why we so often love the Psalms. The Psalms are as emotionally bipolar as we are. In one Psalm, it's... God, you're awesome, you're great, the birds are singing, I just can't get enough of you, you're everywhere, you're in me, huh? and the very next breath, where are you? I'm weary, 
weary. I, my eyes waste with grief. You're so far away. Will you forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face? And we're like, been there. And even as Jesus hung on the cross, he quotes Psalm when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Jesus whining? Is he sacrilegious? No, he's normal. Naomi wakes up every day with emptiness. The emptiness of a New Hope Naomi who wrote this, who said this in the aftermath of her husband's loss, like something inside of me was sucked out, a deep, lonely feeling. Naomi feels like half a person. Her heart still beats, she thinks. She, she can feel it, but her heart feels dead. She's empty. And that's how our chapter ends today. She, uh, it, it ends with hopelessness. God is against me. I'm bitter and I'm empty. And Naomi doesn't know. She doesn't know that right around, right around the corner in the little village of Bethlehem is a redeemer. She can't see it. From Bethlehem would arise her redeemer and then a thousand years later would arise our redeemer. But she can't see it. The reliable and loving God of the universe was going to meet Naomi in her grief. God was going to work for her. He was going to do a work of redemption. But for now, she had lost hope. And all she could see was through the lenses of pain and sorrow and suffering and turmoil and grief. Here's what one author wrote, which brings it right back to today. Emptiness. This is where we often find ourselves with a scary diagnosis, a relationship crumbling, the loss of a job, the death of a loved one. We find ourselves in these empty places, listen, uncertain of the end of the story. And some of you today have walked in, you're uncertain of the end of the story. The author goes on, we do not know how or if our fortunes, our security, our confidence, our hope will be restored. We are left simply with a promise a promise that we are not alone. It is a promise that finds its incarnation in Ruth that God will be with us no matter what. So let's bring this home today, land the plane very practically. Here it is. First of all, I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the midst of emotional uncertainty, cling to what is absolutely certain. Did you get it? In the midst of emotional uncertainty, cling to what is absolutely certain. Uncertain? Health, job, finances, friends, family, national politics. Oh, yeah. All can be shaken. Certain? God exists. He is good. Jesus is Lord. My future secure. Heaven is home. Promise in the middle, God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have to go on that. It doesn't feel like it, but he promised it. I cling to that. Promise, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It doesn't feel like he loves me, but I'm certain that the word is true. I'm going to believe it. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's going to finish well, but I'm going to cling to it. 
In the midst of emotional uncertainty, cling to what is absolutely certain. Friend, listen, find a promise of God's word that you can cling to. Secondly, let me encourage you this. Hand the emotional keys of your life over to the Lord. Hand the emotional keys over. Some of you have come in today and you resonate with these emotions. Hopeless, God's against me, bitter, empty. And listen, it's okay to voice it. It's okay to vocalize it. Ask for prayer. Say, I'm scared. I'm, I'm angry. I'm afraid. I'm bitter. I'm empty. And, and then offer that in prayer and ask that God takes those emotions and transforms them into something sweet. Where do you want God to work this Christmas? What is it? What is the new work? Because we're going to give you an opportunity to be prayed for again to say, God, I want a new work. I want something done. I want the, I want the bitter to be sweet, but it doesn't feel so good right now. And hand those emotional keys over to the Lord. And finally, let me just say this. Bring your cup of bitterness to the Redeemer. Bring the cup of bitterness to the Redeemer. Do you know what I found interesting in the Gospels? In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what was the other one? John, that's right, I forgot. In all four Gospels, they have a detail in all of them at the crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and it is somewhere between, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, and it is finished. Somewhere in between there, all four Gospels record that they dipped a sponge in sour wine, bitter wine, and they raised it to him. And the book of John says, after he had received it, the bitterness of sour wine, he says, it is finished. Do you see the beauty here? That he he comes to this world born in a manger, lives his life crucified, and at the very last moment tastes bitterness as if to say this whole journey of my life has been one bitter episode to absorb sin and death and hell and destruction, and then he's able to say, it is finished. And he's the same one who said, come to me, Naomi. Come to me and take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You will have rest for your soul because he can take that bitterness and make it sweet again. He can do that, but you've got to come to him. And so we're going to pray now. Bel Air Campus, we're going to release you to Pastor Bob for this final closing. New Hope, would you stand and not leave, please? Stay in quietness. Prayer couples, if you would come forward. There is a Redeemer. Uh, friend, listen, if you're with us today, here's how the Spirit of God works. The Spirit of God prompts you. He does something in your heart. This is not a manufactured thing. If God is speaking to you in this moment that you want us to come and say, I need prayer for this, this is not weird what we're going to do. Would you step out right now? Would you step out and come forward? Because these couples simply want to do one thing. They want to pray a blessing of hope and future. Step out right now. Come forward. 
Say to these prayer couples, I need a new work. Here it is. I'm feeling this way, hopeless, bitter. I'm feeling angry, afraid, whatever it is. Would you be willing to take that bold step to say, I need prayer. My family needs prayer. My children need prayer. There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah. We're going to sing that together as a congregation. You can continue to come forward even as we sing. Pastor Rick, would you sing? There is a redeemer, Jesus God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah, today. You've been depressed for a long time. I wanted a special word of hope to women facing depression this December. I want you to come, ladies. Receive the blessing of hope and forgiveness, and there is a future. If there's families here that are in distress, maybe a marriage that needs to be prayed for, come now. Our Redeemer is able to comfort crying children. Teens, come, receive prayer. He's able to comfort every widow. He's able to transform messes to miracles. Pastor Rick, one more time. Friend, this is your opportunity to come. Jesus, my Redeemer, name of great eternal Father and triune Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We approach your throne today. It is a throne of mercy. It is a throne of hope. It's a throne of healing. It's a throne of transformation by which you do away with the old things and you make all things new. Revelation, behold, I am making all things new, and you're doing that, Father, in hearts and marriages and homes. And Lord, the greatest gift that you could ever have given was Jesus the Son, that precious Lamb, born of a virgin, lives a perfect life, dies a sinless death, 
taking upon himself the sins of the world and all of our emotional pain and distress and bitterness. And then, Father, raising from the dead to declare triumph over death, hell, and destruction. We praise you for the beautiful gift of our Savior and Lord, Jesus the Christ. And we pray today, Lord, that you would minister hope to the hopeless, that you would take the bitter and make sweet, that you would transform these places of emotionally where we feel you're against us, that we would be able to say, God is for me and he is with me. And fill us up to overflowing, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing where those empty places exist. Father, this is your church. We are your people. We desire your praise, your honor, and your glory. We also pray for our good. And knowing, Father, that you are about both. You are about your glory, and you are about our good. We are able to say thank you, Father. Thank you. Go with our congregation today. Bless each and every one. Keep them from the snare of the devil, and keep them strong, standing firm in the hope of the gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. God bless you, New Hope. I look forward to seeing you at Pastor Steve's reception momentarily.